Well, today is May 14th, 2009, and you're inside the Opium Den. I'm Daniel Williams, and we're getting set to call our counterpart across the pond, Danny Kuslik. Danny is the founder of the Transform Drug Policy Foundation in the UK. He is there. He is now currently their head of policy and communication. And uh, Danny has had a, a variety of jobs in the drugs field over there. And he is currently a member of the Executive Council of the International Harm Reduction Association, as well as a member of the Advisory Council of the British Society of Criminology. Danny is, uh, has agreed to join us today, and we want to get the full skinny on what's going on over in uh, in Europe and specifically in Great Britain with regards to their uh, their efforts of uh, drug policy reform. So we're going to hit the button here and uh, give Danny a call and uh, see what's going on. Well, here we go. At least it's rain. Good afternoon, Transform. Yes, good afternoon. Daniel Williams calling for Danny Kuzlik. I'll put you through on the back. Thank you. Well, he's up, and Adam, of course, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon over there, so there we go. Okay. Come on, Danny. I know you're there. We just talked. <laughs> well, let's see here. Transform. Uh, yes, uh, this is Daniel Williams uh, calling for Danny Kuslik for our interview. Let me try the extension again one moment. Thank please. you. Maybe Danny went out to have a quick smoke. Who knows? Listen, transform. Uh, yes. Is uh, that? Hi, sorry. Um, the battery on the telephone went out. Let me put you through to a different one. The battery went out. Okay. Just one second. Not a problem. That's all right. I love I love the uh, the British accents. So hey, hello there. <laughs> hello, Danny. Sorry about that. I don't know whether you're going to need to do the sound checks again, or no. I'm going to have to to sample a different breakfast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we want to keep your private breakfast private, but no, I, I think uh, I think we're looking good here for the for the sound check. And I excellent. I want to welcome you to the Opium Den. I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. I feel very welcomed. Well, good. I uh, I set up a I set it up at the uh, at the top of the interview before I called you, explaining uh, who you were and uh, all your great efforts over there. But I'd like you to at least start off by uh, by giving our listeners uh, an understanding of uh, the Transform Drug Policy Foundation and the work you do in the uh, in the UK. So tell okay. us all about it. So. Transform Drug Policy Foundation is a charitable think tank. Um, we think a lot, um, but we also do a lot. We're, we're also a campaigning outfit. We've been going uh, about 12 years now. Um, so we brief the press. Um, we do some work with policymakers to the extent that we're able. We certainly lobby parliamentarians. Um, we now have... Um, a special consultative status at the United Nations, which means, for what it's worth, that we can go and uh, visit uh, drug policy events uh, at the UN. 
Um, so we take part in those kind of debates too. So we're increasingly international in terms of what we do, but predominantly we work uh, in terms of yeah, countering press stories, developing our own thinking around how to critique prohibition and to, to, to demonstrate how much more beneficial a system of uh, legal control and regulation uh, without prohibition. Now that's been your pol- um, excuse me. That's been your policy since 1997. That's what you came into being. Absolutely, we, 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 we've been very clear that um, I mean, there's a lot of different outfits that do all kinds of different things. We've been very clear from day one that what we're about is ridding the world of the constriction of the global prohibition, which is what what creates the the global war on drugs, the need to do away with that and enable individual nation states to determine their own drug policy democratically. It's quite simple. And do you do you believe that the uh, the United States drug policy is the largest uh, uh, implement to uh, or impediment to making that uh, a reality? Well, it's that is actually a really moot question. I think it always has been, and I know that things are potentially going to change with 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 the recent um, change in presidency. But even without the the, the potential um, Obama effect, the fact is that individual nation states, regardless of uh, U.S. hegemonic influence through the U.N., have been able, should have they been willing to to gather together to challenge that status quo. Um, I think that there's, there's, there's a danger in seeing the U.S. as the key to absolutely everything insofar as it, it, it's very disempowering for other nation states. And I think that we need to allow the possibility, at least, that, that things could, could begin to move and perhaps we could even reach the finish um, and put ourselves out of work um, without the U.S. actually capitulating. Um, or, or certainly not leading it. However, clearly, if the U.S. decide together with other significant nation states um, to, to, to move to, to, to end the prohibition and move towards a system of control and regulation, um, it's game over. Well, I, I agree with you, but um, when, I, when I, I visit Amsterdam on a, on a fairly regular basis, I've lectured over there and Actually, my book my book did uh, quite well over there, which was a big surprise. But I speak to the politicians and drug policy leaders over there, and they they seem to concur with me that the the U.S. Uh, the policy of the United States is what has limited their ability to control uh, the drug policies in in their country. In fact, marijuana is not legal there; it is just tolerated because they have told me that should they move towards a legal a truly legal status that the United States has made it known that uh, it would not be a wise decision. And then when Vincente Fox, in, in our, our neighbor to the south, several years ago, actually maybe four or five years ago, proposed the legalization of small amounts of all drugs, the law was about ready to be signed, and then uh, the Bush administration decided that that was not a good idea. So I, I, I think it's a great idea that, that countries are moving independently but I'm not so sure that until the United States uh, moves in a more positive area and in a more positive manner, that that's going to uh, make uh, make much difference. So, well, I, I, I still think I, I think that there is a narrative which has been repeated 
um, over the decades, which says that the U.S. holds all the cards. And whilst there are clearly enormous economic um, and political pressures that are brought to bear upon individual nation-states who want to make uh, more progressive moves, um, the fact is that were we to see a European Union collectively challenging U.S. hegemony, then that changes everything. Or significant players in the European Union, together with, for instance, uh, Canada, uh, Australia, um, India, if it decided to move on this stuff, um, together with other, other nation states from around the world, there would then begin to be uh, a significant breaking of consensus. And I think that that is the key. I think that what we've seen certainly is individual nation states challenging the status quo and finding it very difficult to move any further. But what we haven't seen is coalitions of nation states at a high level really pushing it. And until we've seen that, I'm not sure that that narrative is going to stand up to a, to a strong uh, scrutiny. Well, I, I agree with you. And when I, when I lectured over in, uh, in Amsterdam, I, I, I made that exact uh, same point. I felt that you know, with Bush and as our president at the time, we weren't making any uh, headway. As a matter of fact, we were going backwards. But I recommended mm -hmm. that the the European Union as a coalition, this could be an issue that would allow them, because of their enlightened attitudes uh, at the at the time and and still ongoing today, a coalition to stand up to the United States would 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 tilt the tilt the uh, playing field in favor of of uh, repealing prohibition. So why do you believe? that uh, with all the progress that you've made, obviously, and we're going to get into that in a minute, but why well, do you believe the European Union hasn't taken a unified position against uh, the United States on this issue? Well, I mean, I think sadly, uh, along with a lot of other significant policy changes, that they don't occur until um, the, the, the policy is in deep, deep, deep crisis. And whilst for those of us who work in the field, um, we've seen this crisis at first hand for many years now, um, I think that uh, for other um, uh, for people who don't operate as near the coal face as we do, that it's it's not a priority for them, and it isn't a priority until it becomes a real crisis. And I think that the the, the economic crisis that we're now in um, is changing that for not only for the U.S. Um, and the, the Obama effect is clearly having an effect, given that Mexico is, is about to decriminalize personal possession, where, where, where um, Fox couldn't do it under Bush. He certainly, uh, Calderon may well, uh, is presumably going to be able to do it um, with Obama in post. That, they're, that, they're, that the crisis, both uh, economically, that the, uh, the removal of Bush and the breathing space that uh, Obama being in place allows, together with the increasing crisis um, uh, that prohibition is bringing um, at producer level, trafficking level, um, retailing level, and consumption level, that that crisis is, is, is upon us. But also the analysis is out there in such a way that, that things will begin to shift. But the reason why it hasn't really up until now, to be completely honest with you, is because politicians don't give a shit. Um, and, and they give a shit about a lot of other things, but this is not something that's, that's been forced to the top of their agenda. And, and to the extent that it isn't, it doesn't hold any sway. It's seen as a marginal issue. Well, do the politicians in your country uh, privately bemoan the fact that prohibition isn't working, but they feel and fear that if they speak up, 
they won't have the uh, the popular support and it would be the kiss of death, uh, politically speaking? Again, it's a narrative that runs very strongly that, that yeah, if you put your head above the parapet, <clears throat> it, it will be cut off and kicked around for sport. Uh, which, so just to give you an example, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, I think it's quite neat the way that the... Um, that it matches up on, on, on both sides of the, the divide in the special relationship between the US and the UK. So you now have a situation where your president is an ex-dope smoker, an ex-cocaine user, um, who in 2005 described the war on drugs as, a, as an utter failure. And as he's got closer to power, has become more and more equivocal about his position with regard to uh, significant change in policy towards um, decriminalization, legalization. Maybe, maybe he needs to snort some more coke or smoke a little more pot to get his head right. Well, I think he probably just needs to, to, to remember what his principles are, to be completely honest with you. I'm not sure that drugs are going to help him find them, sadly. Um, would that it was so easy. Um, <laughs> we have a situation where our next prime minister is likely to be a man called David Cameron, who is a former dope smoker, probably a former um, cocaine user, um, who in 2002 was a member of the uh, Parliamentary Home Affairs Select Committee uh, when it ran uh, an inquiry into UK drugs policy. And he voted for uh, a recommendation uh, the final recommendation, number 24, which was to call on the UK government to initiate a debate at the Commission on Narcotic Drugs on alternatives to prohibition, including uh, legal regulation. Um, but here's a man who uh, supported the uh, move uh, from uh, in, move, uh, in moving cannabis back from Class B, where it had uh, lower penalties back to Class B for uh, entirely populist reasons. And I think that what we see here is a dynamic where politicians, as they approach and, and eventually reach the seat of power, that their views become more and more reactionary. And there is a narrative that says that that is to do with loss of popular support or the fact that you will be taken apart by the reactionary media or, you know, I can't do that because, you know, fill in the gap, whatever right. the fear is, or the, 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 the purported um, evidences to show that this would be, that this would be uh, quote unquote, political suicide. But I don't know that that's true. Well, um, here, here, in the, here in the U.S., a recent poll found that 76% of, of American adults believe the drug war is failing. Now, granted, a few of them believe we're just not trying hard enough. Sure. But, uh, a large majority believe in fundamental change, and of that group, there are a significant number that believe repealing drug prohibition is the uh, right solution. How does that, how does that uh, parallel up to the, to the thought of the... Uh, of people in uh, in Great Britain on the street, do they do they feel that the war on drugs uh, is lose is 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 a lost cause as to the extent that we do? What's what's popular opinion? Absolutely. I mean, I, I can't give you this because it, it all depends on how you ask the question. Of course. Um, but but certainly, even on um, uh, asking the, the very harshest question, so do you think that? Um, uh, do you think that uh, the legalization of hard drugs would reduce crime? I mean, 45% of people would, would say yes to that in the last poll that I saw, and that's from a few years ago. So at least they understand the analysis right. that prohibition produces a lot of crime. We have the highest level of support for legalization and regulation of all drugs in the European Union. 
So uh, 22%, um, over a fifth of all young people, support the entire dismantling of, 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 of prohibition and its replacement with a system of legal regulation and control. Well, that's, that's higher so, than the thought is here. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's higher than no, no. The, the thought over here. And I'm wondering if that's because of, of your advocacy of, of full repeal versus our advocacy or focus here on medical marijuana. I, I've, been, I've written numerous articles and taken a lot of heat for saying Medical marijuana is not the best strategy to move the debate forward. You yeah, don't seem I mean, to have it, that it, dichotomy there. Sure. We, we, it's certainly less prevalent. Uh, we don't have a significant um, medical marijuana movement. We don't have a, 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 a very um, well-funded or particularly um, uh, vocal um, cannabis lobby here. We do have, um, we're not particularly well-funded, um, and if anybody's out there and wants to give us a lot of money, by all means, ring in later. Um, <laughs> we, we, but we, we, we are the leading force. We, we do hold the, the uh, significant position in terms of challenging prohibition. And we do call for the, the repeal of the entire edifice and its replacement with, with uh, the legal regulation of all drugs. Uh, it, uh, it would be too much for me um, or Transform to claim it's as a result of our work that the discourse is qualitatively different um, and that those levels of support is that much higher. Although watching the media over the last few months from the States on my little Google News alerts, the debate that's taking place, certainly from the Wall Street Journal to the New York Times to small um, uh, town newspapers in the Midwest, the debate doesn't seem to be about medical marijuana and doesn't seem to be about legalizing cannabis. It actually is to do with really questioning the value of the war on drugs. So whatever's happened over there, in recent months, the debate is very much on the same terms that it is over here. And my guess is that to the extent that it has been, um, that the, 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 the levels of support for, for reform um, of a more substantial nature, going much further than, than, than cannabis, are likely to grow on, on your side of the water too. Well, your, your modesty is admirable, but I, from my perspective, I believe that uh, you uh, get a few more props than you're, than you're willing to uh, accord yourself because over here, we, our, our, our primary focus is on medical marijuana. We have the Marijuana Policy Project. We have Normal. We have Americans for Safe Access. Mm. And we have the Drug Policy Alliance. And Although the Drug Policy Alliance may be a, a notch or two above the medical marijuana debate, that seems to infuse most of the uh, discourse and commentary over here. But you're correct about the, the recent uh, increase of the overall uh, theme of repealing drug prohibition. And you mentioned the Wall Street Journal. And I personally believe the Wall Street Journal is, is, is probably the best newspaper in, in the country. I take a lot of heat for that from my fellow policy reformers, but if you look at the at the facts, over the past 12 to 18 months, the Wall Street Journal has been the leading voice on discussing drug prohibition. They've taken, mm -hmm. um, uh, I think, kind of a, a middle-of-the-road approach because they offer both sides of the equation, but every time they speak to the prohibitionist side, they get John P. Walters up on the, on the screen, and he's a complete fucking idiot. Mm -hmm. and, 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 they do, and they do, I think have a, 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 an agenda on their mind that uh, drug prohibition is not working and they want to move the debate forward by giving, us, giving a lot of ink and air to the drug policy reform people. But 
<clears throat> again, when I when I speak to people like uh, Rob Campia and and those who are involved in the med- medical marijuana issue, I, I tend to believe that that's not really doing us that much good, and they need to step it up and take the same type of advocacy actions that that Transform uh, does over there. So, I want, I'm kind of rambling, but I want to I want to ask you. What, what is your visibility to the average person on the street? Are you a well-known organization or getting, and getting better known? Or how do you, how do you see yourself as viewed? I don't think that? we're that well-known yet. I think a lot of people won't have heard of us. And I certainly hear a lot of the feedback that we get when we do get a bigger media hit, um, which we've had over the last few weeks, um, is that the, the people are just really pleased to see us around because they haven't ever heard of us. Um, we're a very small outfit. We have a turnover of about £220,000 a year um, with a staff team of seven part-timers. Um, and we don't have the kind of budget to get the sort of publicity that the, the, the bigger US-based um, advocacy... Well, that's that's um, interesting because over here, these, the, the budgets for these groups like you know Marijuana Policy Project, DPA, Students for Sensible Drug Policy and the like... They're uh, enormous uh, by comparison, but they don't seem to be able to have uh, the same effect as far as how public opinion is being shaped. Now, again, you've been at this since 1997, and I think you probably have a greater effect than your your humility will allow you to admit. Well, the thing is, I can't prove it. I really can't. I mean, showing it's one of the... um the, 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 the classic problems in campaigning and advocacy work is that you don't know, you can never turn around and prove that, a, that, that, that the work that you're doing is significantly influencing um, public opinion. Um, and and that's, that's the, the case for us. It's, a, it's, a, it's an attritional approach that we've taken. Um, and also one that's actually got a lot more nuanced, sophisticated, and I think a lot smarter over the last couple of years in such a way that we can garner um, more support and more media um, attention because we're much cleverer at what we do. I think because one of the big you have less money, you have to be more clever. <laughs> we have to be very, very clever. On the budgets that we have, <laughs> we have to be supremely intelligent about what, what, what we're up to. We can't afford to waste anything. Um, so that, that means that uh, and certainly, but, but just to come back to the issue of, of um, the strategy that we've used, when, when, when we, we first started out, we were very much operating on a kind of human rights um, ticket. It was very much one of our tag strap lines from a very long time ago was your body, your choice. And it was very much about the, the, the civil rights, the human rights to to put into your body what you choose to, which is, which is something that, that, that all of us here would, would absolutely still agree with, but it's not something that we lead with because it doesn't have any political traction. Um, and we've been a lot cleverer. And recently we've been talking a lot about uh, the economics of the drug war um, and how that money might be better spent and its wastefulness um, and its contribution to making the world a, a shittier place. Well, I think that that's the, that's the primary issue, uh, money. Nothing focuses the mind like... Uh like money and money talks money talks and uh, bullshit walks they say but when you spoke about when we speak about the economic situation that relates back to our alcohol prohibition uh, in the, in the 20s and early 30s we ended alcohol prohibition not because uh, 
we couldn't stop people from yeah, drinking. Yeah, the big liberal regime that came in. Right. I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. And it wasn't... It was violence. economics. It was economics. You're exactly right. We were fucking broke, and that's what focused the mind. And I, mm. that's why I'm so... Uh, I'm so uh, I'm excited about the, the current times, not only here but around the world, because everybody is broke. And that, I think, is the straw that will break the camel's back and, and force think us through. I think you're absolutely right. And, and, and it's hit the UK and the US very hard. I think the other thing that's interesting about the... the there's a lot of things that cement the special relationship. Um, our draconian attitudes to the war on drugs are considerable um, over-imprisonment um, policies generally, the, 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 the over-incarceration um, of uh, black people, um, again, on, uh, in, both prison, in, uh, in both prison regimes, UK, US, comparable low levels of well-being, low, uh, the UNICEF um, table uh, produces a, a, a league table of child well-being in uh, 21 industrialized countries. And in 2007, which is when I first became interested in the well-being uh, perspective, um, the, the, the UK came bottom, 21st, and the US came 20th. Um, and, and, and my joke is that that, that, that now cements the special relationship. <laughs> um, but we also have comparably high levels of, of drug use and misuse, very similar. Um, and I think that's no coincidence. And what we know, again, from all the evidence, is that uh, both uh, uh, stateside and uh, in terms of the UK and, and, and beyond, that drug policy itself, whether it's draconian or liberal, um, doesn't have a significant impact on levels of drug use and misuse. What does is, is levels of well-being and inequality. And uh, both the UK and US have very, very high uh, disparities between rich and poor and very low levels of well-being. And what we've attempted to do um, uh, is, to, is to deal with that fundamental problem by applying draconian drug laws, but also draconian criminal justice um, uh, regimes generally, to deal with what is a fundamental uh, well-being problem. And I think that that is also very interesting, because I think that minds are being focused as a result of the economic crisis. That, those kind of um, symptomatic policy um, initiatives, which prohibition is, to deal with the symptoms of, of, of low levels of well-being rather than dealing with, dealing with well-being itself, are indulgences. They're very extravagant indulgences. War is a very dumb and very expensive way of dealing with the fact that you have low levels of well-being. And those become impossible to sustain. They're untenable in times of deep economic crisis. And I think that this is, is applying enormous pressure to places where policy, expensive policy, which has, has been based on garnering political capital at the expense of wasting uh, financial capital, the, once the, the balance tips and you don't have that finance anymore, the political capital isn't there to be earned on the back of the investments because um, they've all gone now. They've all disappeared. So people really have to think very hard about whether they want to continue with those indulgences, and they're not going to be looking pretty for the general public. And certainly from conversations that I've, I've had with senior civil servants fairly recently, the pressures on the prison system. And, you know, you have Arnie. You have Arnie there. Um, 
the Terminator talking uh, about uh, the need to do, to do an impact assessment on, on, on potentially legalizing marijuana. Right. And these are because of budget constraints. That's all it's to do with it. It's not because he's suddenly become a liberal. Jesus. No, it's because we're, it's because we're broke. And I, and, I mean, I, I, if there's any silver lining to all this financial uh, crises, is that uh, the, the uh, global drug prohibition is going is to take a hit. Now, I, I'd like to ask you, what, what's... I mean, I'm I'm very in tune with the, with the drug scene over here as to what's going on and how it's how it's operating. What's does it does the drug scene in, in Great Britain parallel ours as far as the type of drugs being used? What happens when they use these drugs? What's it like on the street over there? Okay, so we have um, uh, half of of young people between the ages of 15 and 24 have smoked a joint. Um, not not a huge amount of them carry on using them um, uh, as a lifestyle choice, but we have out of a population of of, of fifty odd million uh, in the UK, we have you know estimates vary. You know, you put your finger in the wind and wave it about, and and, and then tell everybody you know how many drug users there are in in, in whatever population you're looking at. But there, there are you know estimates vary, but somewhere between two and four million regular dope smokers. In the UK, we have a problematic um, heroin and crack using population that's estimated at 300,000. But that may be that may be an overestimate. It could be an underestimate. Again, who knows? Yeah, nobody can tell. No, but but just to put put that in in perspective, we have um, uh, between two and four million people who have a drink problem. We have nine million people who are. Uh, regular cigarette smokers, most of whom are likely to have dependency issues related to it. And we have somewhere between half a million and one million dependent tranquilizer users, Mogadon, Valium, and Tamazepam. Um, we have 135,000 children who are prescribed Ritalin um, for attention deficit disorder. So w- when you look at the drug problem, we, we have a lot of people, that, but smaller, smaller numbers who use, you know, in the hundreds of thousands who use um, cocaine recreationally. And we have, I don't know, estimates vary again, perhaps around a half a million people who regularly use uh, ecstasy. Um, and we have head shops. We have um, where there's some very, very powerful substances available, um, which are completely unregulated, bizarrely. I mean, the other thing is when you begin to look across the board between um, legal drugs and illegal drugs, um, we have... We have some very, very odd policy decisions being made. So currently, I don't know what the case is in, in the States, but, but tobacco is sold without a license here. Really? Uh, which I, I find bizarre, utterly bizarre. This is a very dangerous drug. It kills half of all its users. Um, we have, we've had like three, three convictions under our um, Alcohol Licensing Act of 2003. Um, so in the last six years, there have been three convictions to... to um, uh, license holders, basically publicans, uh, selling alcohol to people who were drunk. My guess is that there's probably been more more than three offences in that particular category. So we have some very very odd ways of dealing with. Um, we 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 brought in our smoking ban now, um, so right. uh, tobacco is is restricted in in uh, closed public spaces. What's your thought on that? Well, it's something I I have to say that we supported on the basis that the the the, my my take on it, and we don't we we never really had a long policy talk about it. Our view is, uh, regardless of the because the evidence on passive smoking is not good. 
Um, and I think that that kind of science push that purported to lie behind the ban on, on smoking in public places was bullshit. But um, I have a problem with the, the, the fact that secondhand smoke is unpleasant. And uh, unless people are choosing um, to use a drug, then they shouldn't really be um, afflicted by oh. other people's. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's, that's the issue with regard to tobacco smoke. And, and I have to say that it, it makes pubs more enjoyable to be in. I, um, I agree. I mean, I, I, I was... And uh, you don't come out smelling. Yeah, exactly. But the, the problem that I have with, with, the, with the, the punishment and the prohibition is that if you, want, if you want to say you can't smoke in bars and restaurants where non-smokers go, I'm, I'm all for that. I support that 100%. But what the, the flip side of the coin is if you want to have a bar or a restaurant specifically for smokers where the customers smoke, the employees smoke... Why shouldn't that be allowed? Do you have any type of, of arrangement in, in the UK where... We don't. And I, I just think it was a bit complex to do that, and they just went for a blanket ban. I don't think it's that huge a deal. It's, it's not that much of a, a restriction on people's civil rights. Um, you know, if you want to smoke, you go home. I mean, and if you compare it... I, I think there's also a danger of conflating, um, or at least making a, a, a too close a connection between the ban on smoking in public places and prohibition. I'm not sure that we should really call it a prohibition, or certainly not, not, not in the same breath that we do the global prohibition, which, which subverts entire nation states from Colombia to Guinea-Bissau, um, Afghanistan, um, and incarcerates, um, you know, half our prison population is made up of people who are offending support a heroin or crack habit. That's very different than saying that we'd rather you do that um, in a wide open space or that you do that in the privacy of your own home. I think that's very different, and I think that we need to be careful about um, making too close a connection, well, in I, my I, humble opinion. I, I agree that we need to, be, we, we need to take care in making those, um, those comparisons, but also we have to, I think we have to uh, have our guard up about uh, them extending them in areas where they don't belong. For example, here in the United States, there are, pl there are beaches in California. I mean, you're out in the wide open spaces on a beach, breezes are flowing, and you can't smoke um, on the beach. I think the extension, uh, or at least by not standing up to the, to the tobacco prohibition, or the tobacco, yeah, I'll call them tobacco prohibitionists, mm. that that just gives them continued... Uh, that just em, em, emboldens them to to go on, and and there are even there's even talk about stopping people from smoking in their own homes if they have children. So I think mm. we have to stand up to that and say, okay, we agree with you in principle about not offending others, but when it comes to our own private and personal use in our own homes or out in open spaces. Let's give it a break here. Okay, but there is an issue here, and I think that this is, this is an, another issue. I just want to throw this one into the mix. Sure. It's someone that, something that I've talked quite a lot about with people. Is that part of this is to do with the route of administration. Because we're using a product which, which contaminates the atmosphere around you, it's, it's what the ban is on is not on the drug. It's on the, the particular way it's being used, which I, th I actually think is quite interesting if you think about how other drugs are used. So that, for instance, there's no problem with you wearing your patch in, in, in the cinema or in your doctor's surgery. It's not about the use of the drug. 
It's actually to do with the way that it's used. And I think that that's actually quite an interesting way of looking at it. Um, because no one, in that sense, no one's stopping you using your drug. They're just stopping you doing it in a way that actually impinges on other people's um, enjoyment of fresh air. Yeah, but, it, but, it gets to, but it could get to the point where we, they, they can say, we don't want to stop you from using the drug. The drug is okay, but they're going to restrict where you can do it. So it's de facto prohibition of tobacco if, you, if it's okay to, to buy tobacco. Well, it, it, well, but not well okay let's, to let's be clear. It. It's de facto prohibition of, of smoking of tobacco in order to, to receive the, predominantly the drug called nicotine. But there's a number of different ways of getting nicotine into the system. You can chew it, you can snort it, That's you can right. have it on patches. You, you can, can snort an nicotine? Inhaler. Huh? You can snort nicotine? I've never heard of that. There, there, was, there was a snuff. Oh, snuff. It's, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got to know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there's, 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 you know, it's, it's an interesting one, I think, to begin to look at, at, at what is, is, is culturally acceptable. And I think that the other thing is that given that there hasn't been rioting in the streets, I think predominantly it has been, you know, it's become part of, 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 of our culture that that smoking in, you know, I, 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 I would have concerns about making it illegal to smoke in the woods um, because otherwise, what are you doing? You're not allowed to light a fire in the woods. You're not allowed to have a campfire in the woods anymore. I mean, it gets a bit silly then. But I think that the issue, the issue is, is, is it, it, it needs a little bit of thought, a bit of deconstructing. But I, I think that, again, it's, it's, we, we have to make a distinction between those, those laws on the way that drug use, individual's drug use affects another person um, purely by virtue of using that drug to the global prohibition which which destabilizes nation states. Right. Yeah, we're over not over 160 billion pound trade to the to organized groups. Yeah, we're not near we're not near the uh, the extent of tobacco uh, restrictions or prohibitions globally. But as the, we the other thing drugs. is, the tobacco companies have not helped themselves very much here. Let's no, be fair. Have. No, they have not. It's not it's not just governments coming down hard on and restricting people's civil liberties. Uh, tobacco companies have screwed it all up for themselves by lying <laughs> for a <Yeah>. very long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to get out of the legal arena here. I mean, tobacco is a you know a, a favorite subject of mine, but I want to get back to uh, to the drug thing. And I'd like you to to tell me and, and our listeners just exactly uh, what is the the serious organized crime agency? What are they uh, what are they chartered to do over there? And do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I mean, I I, I don't have a problem with with with. Um with enforcement agencies trying to catch real baddies. But I have a problem with an agency that, that, that stands by whilst, uh, or at least keeps silent on the issue of the fact that prohibition, global prohibition and, and our UK domestic prohibition uh, initially in, in the UK has gifted uh, a drug uh, market worth between four and six billion pounds a year in the UK and 160 billion pounds globally to organize crime and then sets up another agency called the Serious Organized Crime Agency to go and get some of it back. I mean, it's just nuts. You know, if you, I'm thinking particularly about asset confiscation here. Right. Where you're effectively, you give them the trade, which we knew happened with alcohol prohibition. So you give them the, 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 the multi-billion uh, pound trade globally 
and then you go and get little bits of it back by grabbing somebody's yacht or their mansion or, 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 or their cuddly toys. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. It's perverse. And, so that, that's, and, the and a, that's the primary uh, job of the serious organized crime agency? Well, is they're to... there to disrupt. They're to dis- they're, they're, their job is to disrupt. That's what they call it. So perhaps to add a little bit more anarchy and, and chaos and destabilization to the entire business. I mean, it's, it's sick beyond belief. Um, it's abhorrent to be wasting I don't know, somewhere between 400 and 500 billion, uh, million pounds a year on an agency that's there to try and stop something which the government set up in the first place. So are they, it's are, lunacy. Are they, try, are they like the DEA where they go in and do enforcement? Are these guys just, just set up to go after the money as opposed to arresting people? Mainly they're going after the money these days, but it's intelligence. It's, it's all kinds of things. I mean, intelligence with a very small eye and, and <laughs> clearly not related to the one that makes you a clever person. Um, it's to do with, with, with gathering information and all those kind of things. I mean, it's, it's, you know, we live in a world where, you know, we, we have multinational companies that are uh, stashing away money in offshore bank accounts to avoid taxes. Um, but one of the beautiful things, really, about setting up an agency like soccer is that you can point to a scapegoated group of people that you can then, you know, that everybody can get get exercised about and emotional about the, the, the organized criminals and these baddies doing these things. Um, meanwhile, Tony Blair can wander into Iraq on the basis of, <laughs> of, of weapons of mass destruction that don't exist and when they'd previously been funding Saddam Hussein, but right. suddenly he's turned evil. So I, I think that these, 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 are, these are like conjuring acts where you, you, you encourage people to look one way, um, whilst you whilst you produce doves from a from a handkerchief right um whilst you and and meanwhile you're stuffing all the doves in where 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 people aren't looking and i think that that's what this is about it's to encourage people to a be looking the wrong way to secondly believe that our government is looking after us don't worry everything's fine we're looking after you um, they're not. Well, <laughs> don't I, believe I, it, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely true. And, and I know that you're more than willing to uh, to put yourself out of a job should we uh, repeal global drug prohibition tomorrow. tomorrow. Tomorrow, I would take it. If somebody handed it me on a plate tomorrow, I'd take it. And and that and that's very admirable. But but, but what do you believe that the? I mean, usually when we talk about the drug war and who benefits, we always seem to talk about the the, the drug cartels and the like. But does, there's a parallel beneficiary to all the drug warriors as well and do they look at this as good lord if we repeal drug prohibition i'm out of a job and they're frightened as opposed to you being excited i mean do you think that there is an inertia the drug lords are worried well yes the drug lords are worried but don't you think the drug policy people uh the the prohibitionists are also worried i mean these this is a career for a lot of these people this is their what you mean in terms of people who work for the dea and soccer and people like that exactly yes clearly there are investments here and i think that that it's no surprise that that soccer put the report out that they did um at a time when the agency's been taking a lot of flack um and clearly what they do a lot of the time is 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 big themselves up to to maintain their funding i it's, I don't know that people are taking those real big looks at stuff, like the, 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 in terms of, of fearing the, the end of, of, 
of a of a prohibitionist regime that means that they could be out of work. Although, you know, the one time that I did, you know, have a a brief chat with a, a customs official in the UK and, and mentioned that uh, that legalisation um, was the way forward. He said, oh, God, come on, give me a break. We're all, there's loads of us being made redundant already. But I wasn't sure if he was joking. And I don't know. See, the thing is, if you look at this as, a, as, a, as an intelligent policymaker, which is how I would, would, would prefer to do it were I in their place, um, uh, it's not going to happen. I'm, I'm not standing for election. Um, but if I were, I'd be looking at resource reallocation. And um, it must be a pretty soul-destroying job for people who are genuinely concerned about um, uh, putting baddies in prison. Why don't you to stand see, for to election? See that they, to see that they're winning. But, but I think that there is, there's, there's, part of this is about, you know, so in the UK we have um, our health system is, is, is under real pressure and underfunded. Our education system is under pressure and underfunded. My, my kids go uh, sit in a class where there's 30 children with one teacher. Mm. Um, and those class sizes could be reduced substantially if we reallocated the resources from the drug war to other places. And I think that, 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 that you know, I, I don't know how the, the, the law enforcement officials would feel about being retrained as teachers or, or, or whatever, but... It, it isn't necessarily about losing your government job overall. For me, it's about doing something a bit more useful than, than supporting a project that gives the mafia all the money it needs. Well, why, why don't you uh, stand for election? Why don't I? Is it because, because of your, I, your I, breakfast I, choices? I have a job. I've, I've already got a job. <laughs> um, and I think this is a really important one. I think that, that, that um, were I to stand for election, I'm not sure that I'd be able to do the kind of things that I do here. I'd have to do a whole lot of other things that would distract me from from doing that. Um, so you believe you're, you're, I mean, and I don't disagree with you, but I'm sensing that you believe your work at Transform is is better and more productive than if you were to stand for election on a on a repeal prohibition platform. Well, I mean, again, I mean, it'd be hard for me to stack up the evidence there, given that I haven't done it before. But I know that I mean, I I I, I visit the Houses of Parliament fairly regularly. I meet people there who are who are afraid to say what they really think. Um, I meet people who who don't have the room for manoeuvre that I have where I am, who are whipped into uh, party lines, who, and, uh, in, in an edifice that, that I have my own personal political concerns at being able to deliver the kind of things that, that, that policymakers really ought to be delivering. I'm not sure it's the best place to be doing business. Um, so my job as, a, as, a, as the head of an NGO is to work from the outside to push them to do something that civil society wants. I think there would be a problem trying to get that stuff. And all going from within side and all the, 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 the people who've commented on uh, wanting to change the infrastructures in such a way that they're more uh, answerable to democratic needs and to to making the world a better place have have all generally come out of there going i did my best but um it isn't it isn't set up to do the kind of things that i would want it to do at the moment and um 
I would sell out a lot of my own personal principles to get in there and, and work from within. I don't, I don't think it's the place for me to be. But okay. like I say, I've never done it before. And I, I, well, it's fun. I'd have to stand I, as an independent. I can't imagine any other any political party taking me yeah, on as a candidate. I, uh, I, I ran as the, uh, on the Libertarian Party here in 2008 as a vice presidential candidate and came this close to getting it. But it was a very interesting process. And, and uh, at least in our Libertarian Party over here, we don't have the constraints of, of, uh, of power, basically. We can say pretty much what we want to say. But it was sure. a, very, a very interesting experience. I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about today in the Wall Street Journal on page, uh, page three of the front section. Big headlines with the picture of uh, Gil Kurlikowski, our new drug czar. Mm. And, the, and the headline is, White House Czar Calls for End to War on Drugs. Well, I about shit myself when I read that. I thought, holy God, what happened here? Yeah, but here we go. Here we go, baby. End of prohibition. But, yeah. And all it is, all, it turns out all he meant was he's not going to use the, the, right. the, 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 the words anymore. Right, but, but, yeah, but, but words, words do matter, I guess, to they a point. Do. But um, I just I saw that headline and I thought, holy God, have I been in a coma for a year? But, and, and, and I don't know if you had an opportunity to, to read it yet, but I want to I give a quote. Uh, Only the headline. I want to give a quote and, and see what you think. It says, mm. this is uh, Gil Kurlikowski, our new uh, drug czar. Regardless of how you try to explain to people it's a war on drugs or a war on a product, people see a war as a war on them, he said. And then he finished up, we're not at war with people in this country. Um, what do you think see, about I, You know, what? the first thing that struck me when I read that was the, 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 the use of the phrase, in this country. And my, so my second thing was, well, what about Afghanistan and Colombia? Bingo! <laughs> Bingo! <laughs> and it looked like, it looked like an appeal to, to U.S. citizens, which is always a good start, um, with, with, a, with a, a complete disregard for people um, who aren't U.S. citizens who are treated, they're not even thought about. So that the idea that, that, that there would be any problem for him with saying that particular phrase didn't even cross anyone's mind. Right, well, it crossed mine, and that's why I wanted to ask you what you thought. Yeah, well, about that was that. the first thing that I thought. I just thought, well, here we go. You know, it's quite happy, you know, what's he going to do? Stop filling U.S. prisons with, 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 with black people and Hispanics. And, yeah, we're going to um, have a policy of and, and, and increase, increasing the, the, the internationalization of the war on drugs uh, against non-U.S. citizens. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, the thing is, I think the recognition, and it shows a lack of, 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 of understanding of the global nature of the war on drugs, exactly. the fact that it's all of a piece. Um, and it doesn't bode well, but maybe he's up for some education. I don't know. I mean, it could be worse. He's not John Walters, for God's sake. No, and interestingly enough, his predecessor out in Seattle is Norm Stampler, who was... Yeah, a, I know. I saw... Uh, yeah, I'm sure you probably know Norm. So, yeah. yeah, he read a thing. He ran a, a, a piece on the Huffington Post the other day, a direct, uh, an open letter to uh, Gil Kurlikowski. But mm. um, another thing here on uh, Kurlikowski's uh, history here, he says he supports... Uh, clean needle exchange to stem the spread of HIV among intravenous drug users. And during the presidential campaign, uh, pre candidate Obama said that he was all for clean needle exchange. And then he did the uh, the budget walkthrough. And now there is absolutely, I mean, they expressly stated not one federal dollar will be used on uh, needle exchange programs. Mm. So um, I, my, my question to you from an outsider looking in, 
Do you believe that uh, President Do Obama I believe a word anybody that ends up Anybody says in the States? Oh, <laughs> Not a fucking word of it. <laughs> okay, you're killing me. You're killing me. And I, and I agree with you, but... Do you think that... No, I'm joking. That's I, well, no, you're... I mean, you know, there's always truth and humor. Um, do you do you think that Obama is, is being too cute by half here by trying to keep a, a public uh, persona of being hard, tough on uh, drugs and the like, but, his, but privately well, Jesus, he wants to move? What do you, what do you the, think? The, the guy's got a difficult job. If you run... And, and this is why I couldn't do it, is because once you reach that point, and in order to reach that point, you have to start um, operating uh, around the, the political center in order to keep uh, as many people happy as you can. Um, and that's a problem in and of itself. And somebody in the UK in some, some press report described him as, as looking all jolly before he came into power. And as soon as he got there, he starts to look scared because you realize that a lot of the things that you've been talking about doing once you get there, you find are impossible because of bureaucratic, technocratic, power bases, all kinds of stuff that isn't to do with, with the kind of ideals that the guy held um, on his way um, in. And I think it does, it does get more complex. And I think that that's the job that presidents have. And what happens is priorities begin to shift from principled priorities to do with saving people's lives. You, the, all the, the, the political priorities come in, which are to do with being president and, and, and maintaining support and, and keeping so-and-so happy and, 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 and that things, things change. Um, it requires a lot of mouthwash. It's, it, there's a, it's, it's, the thing is, that that's the nature of the role. It's the nature of, of, the, of the political system as it's currently set up, and it's why I prefer not to, to be playing um, a... Uh, to be working within it, and it's that, it's, it's that much easier for those of us who, who, who don't work within it to criticise it. Now, I, I would still call him on the principles, um, because I think the principles are what's important, and, and the reality of what goes on in the world is the important thing. Um, we have a situation on this planet, um, if the posters are still correct, and they certainly, um, I don't think that anything's shifted that much, but the old, the old, the, the old posters that I, that I used to see were, and I, it's, it's a pity you don't see more of them, is that, uh, you know, I can't remember what the amount was, but this is the amount of money that it would, it, it would cost to feed, clothe, and educate the entire planet uh, for a year. It's a hell of a lot of money. It's the amount of money that the world spends on arms every day. Right. Um, and we're still in a situation where 35,000 children die every day from malnutrition and diarrhea. And, you know, you're looking at this stuff. I mean, that's a sick planet. It's a desperately sick planet. And I, I wouldn't expect, um, uh, given that that's the nature of, of, of the world, that, 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 that the U.S. president is going to walk into the White House and do everything that he told me he was going to do. Because um, the world ain't like that. No. Um, and I think that, 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 it, that it is very complicated, and it's, and it's really fucked up. And when you deal with that level of fucked upness, it's very difficult to just run a straight course. Having said that, I don't think that, 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 that um, individuals should compromise their principles to the extent where so much of it has been lost. But what do you? What the, do you? The, the, uh, the being 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 the U.S. president becomes synonymous with dropping your principles. Well, that that, that tends to have some history there. But what what hmm. uh, what do you what do you what's your take on uh, Senator Jim Webb, our Democrat from Virginia, and his 
his his proposal for the uh, the criminal justice commission. What do you what do you think about that? I mean, do, is there a counterpart uh, type of proposal in the UK? And if not, should there what, be? What's or precisely what his thing? I mean, I know of Jim Webb's stuff, mm -hmm. um, but I don't know precisely what he's up to. But he certainly doesn't look like one of the usual suspects. Well, you know, I, I think that's part of the, the too cute by half deal, not trying to look like one of the usual suspects, but actually being one. What, what the Webb Commission intends to do, they want to study the criminal justice system uh, for an 18-month period. This is what the commission, this is another one of our Blue Ribbon Commissions, and the majority of the work looks from the, from the papers that they've put out, looks like it's going to be dealing mostly with drug use, drug prohibition, and, and the effects of, of both, although there's a couple of other things thrown in. And mm. I, I believe drug prohibition should, you know, have its own commission. And, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of people on, on our side of, uh, of the ocean over here who tell me, you know, Dan, quit rocking the boat. Look what Jim Webb is doing. He's the Trojan horse for Barack Obama's drug policy. Mm. And I say, okay, well, that, maybe that's true, but I'm 59 years old. I've seen. A, I've been politically active since 1968, and Nixon was elected. And I've seen blue ribbon commissions come and go, and most of them are stalling tactics. And even the good ones and the bad ones, they're all pretty much universally ignored. But the problem that I have, and I was surprised that many of our drug policy advocates over here accept the 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 fact that during this 18 months that they'll be studying this it's going to take a few months to get it in play and it's going to take a few months afterwards so it's going to be about 24 months two years during that time over 1.5 million americans mostly young people will be arrested for the simple possession of marijuana and thrown mm -hmm. into the criminal justice system that, that webb is trying to do and these folks have told me here in drug policy well they're just collateral damage and I just about shit myself when they when they tell me they're willing to accept the, the this enormous amount of uh, of young people being arrested just for marijuana as collateral damage in the overall goal. What, what, what's your thoughts on okay, that? Okay, so for me, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't call it collateral damage. That's people going to prison um, or people being involved in a criminal justice system when they shouldn't be. Or dying. However. Yeah. I think from, 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 from my point of view, I don't expect anything to move pretty quickly. And I think that, that, that it would be unreasonable to expect significant and substantive, substantial changes in, in US drug policy towards a more progressive um, and, and liberal approach within, I don't know, two years. I would say that, 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 that it's unlikely that you, you could see um, the lifting of the, 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 the increased opportunities for needle exchanges to get to get some money. You might see more moves towards uh, decriminalization of possession in some states. I don't know. Um, some moves towards alternative um, uh, community penalties, as we call them here, as opposed to custodial sentences. Um, for 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 drug related offences, um, but but the the big stuff is going to take time. The way that I see it is, the the, the scenarios that 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 I'm running run on a kind of eight to ten year um, schedule, and I think to expect substantial change in terms of global prohibition um, before then are unrealistic. And I think that the, that the problem I have, really, is that when I sit down with 
with with drug policy reformers. I can't get them even to agree on a 10-year schedule. Really? And to begin to work towards that. That's the real concern that I have. I'd like to put myself out of work by 2020. That's my goal. Um, and I think we should all be working towards that because at least then we're done. We're done. You know, two, two years is, is, is far too too quick. It's just not going to happen. And, you know, given that people haven't really applied their minds to this globally to undoing it in that kind of time. Well, you know, I, you know, that, that's, that tends to support the conventional wisdom that people are reticent to change. But if you look throughout history, there have been times when change has been 180 in a very short period of time. We went from uh, you know, thousands of years of, 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 of no prohibitions against drugs to literally overnight, we had a prohibition in 1914 and, uh, of, of narcotics and mm. alcohol prohibition followed in 20, 1920 and in the 1933, it abruptly ended. I mean, when I say abruptly, certainly there were, there were things that were moving at that, in that direction, but it changed overnight. And I, mm -hmm. I, and I tend to believe that with, uh, with drug policy, we could have a similar, you know, overnight change from prohibition to regulated and controlled. But that's, you know, that's just the, the pipe dreams that but what, I get. Well, how does your scenario work on that, though? I mean, where does, where does who, who's going to do it? Where does it, you know, it, is the states leading that? Is Obama overseeing that in 2012? Well, I think that... Um, I think is that, one, is that what that look, one, one, one course of action would be for the federal government to get out of the drug war business. I mean, the funding... That they that they provide to the to the states is what perpetuates this issue. If the federal government went back to a federalism type of of uh, mindset and said, you know what, this is entirely up to the states. You guys decide if you want drugs legal, which ones you want illegal, if you want them all legal, you want to keep maintain the status quo. But the federal government is going to step out of the picture and give it to the states. That is were, that? I mean, I don't know enough about U.S. politics. It is an option. Nothing it, about U.S. politics. I certainly yes. know it's an option. Yes. But the and question it, is, is that is that politically realistic and feasible to expect that to happen within the next well, couple of years? I, th I think it. I think in, in one respect it is primarily because of the seventy six percent of the American public who believe the drug war is failing in there, and they're open to. Uh, to new ways to to approach this, so I don't think. I mean, Barack Obama is certainly a, a brilliant orator, and he's got, and he's got. Uh, oh shit! Excuse me, that's my phone. He's got, uh, uh, he, he's got a tremendous amount of of political capital going on, and for him to to shy away from this subject when he's taken on so many other large ones. To shy away from this and say, "Well, it's just not politically feasible for me to do this." He could stand. He could tomorrow walk out into the Rose Garden and say, "You know what, Jim Webb?" He could he could lead it off with Jim Webb's uh, commission and say, "And as that commission is being uh, formed and 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 the results are put together, we're going to take marijuana out of the uh, Controlled Substances Act and at least put it in Schedule Four and not provide any more federal dollars for marijuana enforcement." He could do that. It would not cost him any political capital. He would gain a tremendous amount from a large segment of the population. A lot of the young people who voted for Barack Obama did so for a variety of reasons, but they, many of them include in those reasons his, his, uh, his desire to end the drug war because he called it another failure. Over here, the drug policy blogs are up in arms, and they're very upset with uh, Barack Obama. So I'm not really... I don't believe it would be a, a, a major political 
expenditure of capital to do that, and I think it would be... No, neither do I. I just wonder where it is on his priority list. Well, it seems to be, you know, when he says, well, God, i got more important things to do. Well, I don't know what's more important than, you know, arresting 800,000 Global economic people. meltdown has yeah. got to be fairly... <laughs> well, yeah, but in the United States, we're, spend, we're, we're expensing over, to, you know, when it's all said and done, at the end of the day, it's about $200 billion a year. And even mm. now, when we're talking in the trillions... Two hundred billion is a lot of money, but I want to, I want to, I want to ask you uh, related to this. Mm-hmm. How would you, if, if, how would you, how do you see uh, repealing prohibition? How would the infrastructure, how would it work in the Great Britain? If you were, if you could, if you could draw up the blueprint, how would you mm-hmm. make it work? What would you do? Well, the first thing is, I mean, and this is this is not being. Um, I'm not treating this flippantly, is, is, or avoiding the question. The answer is all the, all, the, all the systems are already set up. We have licensing systems. We have a licensing system for the sale of alcohol. We have retailing regulatory oversight for non-licensed products. Um, uh, we have pharmacies set up uh, to deliver both in front of the counter and behind the counter drugs, some on prescription, some on not, some not and we have uh, hospitals and uh, doctor surgeries set up to prescribe. So the fact is that the systems are all there. The quite simple um, process that needs to happen is put it, assigning each drug in of a particular concentration to a particular regulatory framework. And that's all you have to do. And to give you an example, um, coca leaves would probably be available uh, for sale without a license, at least for personal use, um, from a from a grocer's. Um, uh, cocaine powder would be would need to be available from a, at the least a licensed retailer, but more likely a a specialist pharmacist, right. um, or even a, a a doctor. I, I can't quite see the doctor fitting in there. It no, I don't know. But, uh, but I think that, that quite simply, you look at, at, at the uh, margins for error on overdose, which, which exist for heroin, for, exist, for, for instance. There's a small margin, and that needs to be controlled safely, although the toxicity of that particular drug is nil at the right dose. Right. I mean, um, I, I know heroin alcohol. Alcohol, on the other hand, is very, very highly toxic. Right. Um, and would, would probably need more regulation than it currently has. Certainly tobacco would. Um, it might be that you even ban uh, tobacco as a smokable product. But that would, you know, these are democratic issues. It's not, it's not about what I think. I, what I'm saying is that these options need to be on the table. Well, how do you, th- you, how could, do you think the cannabis, would, the cannabis uh, would work similar to what is going on in Amsterdam? Where there would be I would cafes? say so. That looks what to be working fine. Yeah. I yeah, like but it. but you'd need you'd need to have you know, you'd need a bit more quality con- quality control. What, what I mean is that you would know precisely the amount of THC that's in that thing, um, and you would probably each packet that you sell would have a health warning on it. Yeah, I'm all, I'm all um, for and you that. Would, you would you would need to have um, uh, some other provisions in place, but not that much. No, um, not it would probably look fairly similar to coffee shops. Yes, yeah. indeed. And I think that part of the provision would be given the given the freedom to consume these substances in the privacy of our own home or in areas where we don't uh, pose a threat to others. 
I think mm. the responsibility that goes along with that, at least in our country, I would be for maybe not stricter uh, DUI laws, but I would be for following the DUI laws. Uh, over here, if you get caught drunk driving, if you got any money, you hire a good barrister, you get it broken down to reckless operation, and you, and you move on with your life. If you're, mm. if you're young, especially uh, in my area in Southwest Florida, Hispanic, uh, you get caught DUI, you go to jail. So I, I would mm-hmm. be, but, if, but in exchange for giving the f- personal freedoms, I would up the responsibility quotient when you're out in the public arena. If you do something stupid, you're going to, you're going to pay and there's not going to be, you know, a fancy lawyer to, to, bu- to bust it down to a lesser charge. So I, I'd, I'd agree with you there. The idea that people could, could can use um, being out of their heads as, as a mitigating factor in 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 a case to the extent that they've got themselves in that state um i think is i have a real problem with that um i think that if people use drugs they have to use them responsibility and if they fuck up they um pay up. They, 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 they 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 feel the weight of yeah i i, I think of the community well. i'm not sure that the current the, the legal system the way it's set up is one that I, I i don't have much truck with it but but i think that there are sanctions that need to be applied for people who screw up when they're stoned um in any way whatsoever yeah. um because that it is about people learning to use drugs responsibly in, in the same way that it is about acting responsibility with, with, with high levels of responsibility to the people around you. That's and, all it is. And most and that's, people... That's what people have to learn to do. Yeah, I, th- I think most people, at least in my experience of, of 40 years of being into this uh, game, most people who consume drugs do so responsibly. Uh, mm. it's, it's a small percentage of the people who, who fuck up and, and, and make all the headlines. And with alcohol, you know, you have an alcohol problem in the UK. We certainly have an alcohol problem here. But you, it's always tempered by the fact that, well, most people drink responsibly, so we can't, we can't penalize them. Let's just make sure those who, who drink and act irresponsibly suffer the sanction of the law. And I Absolutely. think that's where it needs you to go. You don't determine your social policy by the people, by the small minority of people who get in a state. We certainly don't do that with alcohol. Otherwise, alcohol... Right. would be severely restricted because of the number of people. I mean, 25% of child abuse in the UK is committed under the influence of alcohol. Exactly. That's not a good thing to have happen. But we don't ban it. No, and, and <laughs> not, that many, not that many heroin addicts uh, beat each other up or the wife and kids. So I no. have, one, one, one to, to close up here, and I really appreciate Ooh. you extending past the hour that we had agreed no to. No problem. Tomorrow, let's, let's, let's you know smoke a big bowl and, and, and put this, this hypothesis up tomorrow. Tomorrow, Harold Brown is going to give a major drug policy speech. And if Harold Brown was going to channel Danny Kuslick, what would that policy statement be? Uh, well, quite simply, it would be that we have to take a completely transformational view uh, uh, through a completely new lens of what drugs are. We have to recognize that alcohol, tobacco, and legally available pharmaceuticals are drugs, that they're not something different. They're something that we have all used, we are all using, we have used for thousands of years, um, and that we need to find a way of managing them in a world that is fucked up. And to the extent that we learn to manage them, um, that will be a sign 
of our levels of consciousness, reasoning, and our abilities to manage uh, our human relations in a sensible way. And what we have at the moment is our current prohibition and the, the, the complete dissonance that we have with regard to uh, legal and illegal drugs, so, such that we can't even tell that they're the same things. Um, and our fears around the kind of people who use the ones that are illegal is a sign of our low level of consciousness, our inability to manage ourselves in our communities as human beings, and a sign of how sick our, our policy-making process is. Um, and it's, it's a real barometer, and I think that it will be a sign of how, how we've grown up when we make this move from, from prohibition to, to sensible, rational, um, adult uh, management of the, of the regime. Brilliant. That's, you know what, I asked that question to everyone in drug policy that I, that I interview for the Opium Den, and, and they all say, you know, very, pretty similar, brilliant, uh, brilliant things. And I'm just wondering if, if, if we can say it, you know, what's, what's the great uh, problem with, with, our, with our leaders saying it, especially those who, who believe that to be true in, in, uh, in private. But Danny, I want to I want to again thank you for joining. really no problem. It's been it's been fun talking to you, Daniel. Really has. And uh, well, I, I, it's been it's been great speaking with you. And uh, uh, you know, everybody in the, inside the Opium Den, uh, we've had a tremendous amount of response to our uh, to our uh, interview archives, and we're going to get yours put in there right away. Um, we've talked to uh, you know people like Nick Sand, who was one of the uh, he was the legendary 60s chemist who who made what is still considered the the best LSD uh, produced and we've, uh-huh. had, we've had Rick Doblin and we've had uh, Dieter Hagenbach who was a longtime personal friend of of Albert Hoffman so uh, you're I, I oh well, I to, join a, a, a far more um, illustrious group well than, you add than you, I than I deserve to, to, than add, I deserve add, to be associated <laughs> with well anybody who eats a breakfast like you do deserves to be. <laughs> deserves to be in that group so again danny the uh, uh the uh, founder and uh head of policy for the transform drug policy foundation i'm going to give you the last word and tell our listeners how they can help you out okay so if you go uh online and into your search engine you uh type uh the word transform it will come up uh, first or second on your, your, your front page. Click on there and that will tell you all you need to know about what we do and how you can get involved. And I would just encourage everybody to treat this as, as seriously as we now all do the global warming issue. Because on this one, whilst we might be too late, let's hope not, but we might be too late on global warming, this is something we can sort out really easily if enough people get involved and start uh, advocating for change so so go visit go visit the website and they can donate very easily as well they can do that too um it's all available uh, we will receive um your shekels your your dollars your yen um so so yeah if, if you if you want to contribute to the work that we do please we'd be very grateful
Well, I think you do great work over there, and we certainly appreciate you uh, taking the time to come inside the opium den, Danny, and uh, have, a, have a very good uh, rest of the day over there, and I can't even imagine what you're going to have for supper. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy it, Daniel. Okay, Daddy, thanks again. It's really good to talk to you, Joy. Let's uh, keep in touch. Yes, we will. Thank you. Cheers, then. Bye. Bye. Wow, that was Danny Kuslick, who is the uh, founder and uh, policy guy for Transform over in the UK. Um, great guy to speak with, a very, very bright individual, and we certainly appreciated him coming inside the opium den. Uh, you, you may uh, be slightly bewildered about our, our joke about his breakfast and dinners, but uh, we need to keep that on, on the inside. And when I called, uh, when I called Danny earlier today to to uh, do a sound check and the like. Uh, he, he told me what his breakfast of champions was today. Obviously, it was completely facetious, but it was absolutely hysterical. So I can't share it with you, and you can be mad at me, but uh, it was uh, it was pretty fucking funny. So there you have it, uh, Danny Kuslik from, Kuslik from the UK speaking about uh, drug policy reform over there, how it parallels to that over here and the differences between the two. So... I thank you for listening. I hope you find this enjoyable. And while you're in the archives, check out some of the other ones. And uh, that, would be, uh, that would be a good thing. So, uh, again, thanks a lot. And uh, we're going to get out of the opium den right now with our usual uh, salutation. We hope that you stay healthy and high when it helps.